I have figured something out over the last several years that uh, during the time of this service that uh, many of you are on the other side of middle age, uh, well, most of you, a lot of you in the room, uh, y'all tend to get out of town this time of year, and all the young people, are, they've already gone out of town, and they'll show up for the second service. So it's pretty amazing. This service goes down, the other one builds up. So anyway, so good to have you here this morning. Well, if you will, I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6. Today, what I want to talk to you about is something that um, I believe it's uh, vital when it comes to understanding who you are. Now, let me say this. I believe there's really two people. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's two people sitting in the seat you're sitting in right now. Uh, there's the person you used to be and the person that you're becoming. And, and that's very vital when it comes to understanding Scripture, especially when you get to around Romans chapter 6 and what Paul is attempting to say to us. So this morning, we're going to look at the facts of salvation. Now, we have already been through the first two sections of Romans. And if you don't know this, we're going verse by verse through the book of Romans. We began last fall. We took a break. Now we're back. And so the first two sections, if you were to study the book of Romans, would be the sin section and then the salvation section. Now, he continues the thoughts of salvation, but it gets a little more specific when he talks about the whole idea of sanctification and how we are becoming more like about what Christ, what God desires us to be. So, what is sanctification? It's a big old word. It's actually the explanation of salvation. It's also the key to living out your salvation. So, look at the introduction on your outline. Most Christians are frustrated, discouraged, and defeated... Because they do not know, believe, nor apply the truths taught in Romans chapter 6. And if you were to study chapter 6, you would find that that is probably the case. I can't tell you how many times I, I, I meet up with Christians. Sometimes they show up in my office. Sometimes it's through email. Sometimes it's just out passing. And you do. You, you sense that frustration. You, you sense there's just something that's just not quite right. Well, part of the reason is this. We, we don't understand fully many times what our salvation has actually produced or is uh, trying to produce in us. And God is at the center of that. So look on your outline. The three great phases of your salvation. And it's really three big old words that we find in Scripture, we find associated with Scripture. And the first word is justification. And we've talked about this over the years. It means being set free from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin. It literally means that we, because we know Christ, because we've received his, his uh, death, burial, and resurrection, we've received what he's done, and, and we've repented of our sins, and we've come to faith in him, we see that because of what he's done, we do not have to take on the penalty of our sin. How many of you are grateful for that? Amen. Don't want to be, be held accountable for that because for some of us, that's a pretty big list we're dealing with. But the thing we need to understand is the whole idea of justification literally means to be made right before God. Now, let me just tell you this. You're not capable of making yourself right before God. That's something Jesus had to do on your behalf. So therefore, good works, uh, coming to church, having religion, keeping the law, it comes up short. It's all about what Christ has done on our behalf. And as a result, we're free from the penalty of sins. The second big word we're dealing with is sanctification. And it's the whole idea of being set free from the power of sin. So, so the first one is the whole idea of being set free from the penalty of sin. Now we're being set free from the 
power of sin. Now, we're going to come back to that because that's the main part of our sermon this morning. But then there's a third phase to our salvation. And this is the best part, glorification. Another big word. It means being set free from the presence of sin. Do you realize that our eternal existence, now get your mind around this, will not have to deal with the presence of sin. Our eternal existence, temptation, uh, the world's influence, our flesh crying out for the things of this world, all that's going to be removed. And, and that, it just blows my mind that, there, that, that's, that there's going to come a time where we're capable of living in that environment. And so this morning, what I want to do is focus on the sanctification. So, so again, it means being free from the power of sin. It speaks of the process of becoming more like Christ. It's also this. When you think about sanctification and the process going on in each of us, it's the desire to do right. Now, let me say this. I believe, even though we're not perfected and, and that sin still reigns around us, even though we're not perfected, I believe every Christian deep down has a desire to do what is right. And then the conviction that comes when we don't do right. And so therefore, when it comes to being the person that you're becoming, there's two things I believe at work because of what Christ has done in your life. There's the whole idea, first of all, that you have a desire to do right. And when you don't do right, there's conviction. And I believe that is this process of sanctification. It also speaks of an inner struggle. Now, we saw last fall in chapter 5 that every one of us has the sin nature. It's, it is the desire to live for ourselves. And so, therefore, the old nature comes from Adam, the father of the human race. It's been passed down to us. And the nature of that sin nature is to be your own God, to be your own boss, to call shots, to live life your way as some songs and some people would say. So how do you break the power of the old nature? Now, you cannot break the power of your old nature on your own. It is a power that comes outside of you. It's the power of God's word and what he desires to do. So the fact is, Jesus Christ has already broken the power. And we are going to see how we can appropriate that power that whole idea into our own lives. And so, therefore, it leads us, look on your outlines, two great truths of your salvation. Now, you, you really need to understand what I'm getting ready to tell you in just a moment. Because this is the key to understanding how to grow, how to become what God desires you to become. The first thing we see there is something called positional truth. Positional truth. And it's literally what God says about you in your Christian life. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you come on his terms, you're entering in that process, that's what God says about you. Now, did you know that, that when you think about who you are, there's what God says about you, and then there's what you think about yourself? How many of you agree that sometimes that runs in conflict with one another? To me, that's where the frustration comes for the Christian. That, that's where the discouragement comes from. Because when we understand fully who we are in Christ, positionally, well, you can't help but get excited about that. But then there's the other side of it. It's a whole idea of how do I move beyond that? So, so, so here, here it is. Think of this. Can something be true without you ever having experienced it? Sure. It is. It can be. Can, can something be true even though you've never felt it? Can something be true even though you don't understand it? 
Can something be true even though you may not even believe it? Oh, yeah, all those things can be true. Now, let me give you an instance. The Bible says that once you are saved, your sins are completely forgiven. Think about that. Your sins are completely forgiven. Positionally, that's where you, you stand as it relates to your sins. They're forgiven. Yet many Christians still live under the bondage of shame and guilt. Now, you know what that literally means? It talks about what we talked about several months ago. They're living in contradiction to who they are. So therefore, here it is, your sins. I'm here to tell you based on the authority of God's word. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, came on his terms, your sins have been forgiven. Then how is it that we can still live under the shame and the guilt? How is that possible? Yet I meet Christians over and over again who, who are still living with the bird, burden of their shame and their guilt. And I'm here to tell them many times, listen, based on the authority of God's word, your sin has been forgiven. You can forgive yourself. The, the one who created you, the one who saved you has forgiven you. You can forgive yourself. You don't have to live under all this. So positionally, they are given, they are forgiven but experientially, they still feel guilty. God says that in Christ, you are covered with his righteousness. Uh, and yet, he sees us as perfection before him. But let me ask you a question. Do you feel perfect right now? No, let's be honest. Some of you already had a bad attitude this morning. How many of you noticed, especially when you had small children, that some of your bigger fights came on your way to church? You remember those days? Some of you are like, you don't have to have children to have that. We had that this morning. <laughs> That's the reason Tina and I, we drive separately. We, we, we never. <laughs> On one hand, I can count how many times we've been to church together. Can you? It's just always, I mean, we always have different schedules. But it's that whole idea of, of, of positionally. Now, positional truth is what God says about you in your Christian life. But then there's a second truth. It's called experiential truth. When you begin to live the way God sees you. So think about that. Positionally, your sins have been forgiven. You're not under the power and the bondage of sin, shame, and guilt positionally. But are you experiencing that? That's where the frustration comes. That's where the discouragement comes. Now, in the 1860s, President Lincoln wrote the Emancipation Proclamation freeing the slaves. The minute he wrote it as president, based on his authority, every slave in the United States was legally set free. So positionally, the slaves were what? Freed. Okay, now I want you to think about this. But did the slaves experience it at that time? Not at all. It wasn't until the end of the war that they were actually given their freedom. It, their freedom positionally was there, but experientially they weren't there. So positionally they were free from their masters, but experientially they still lived as slaves. Now here's what's interesting about this. Did you know that even after all this came down, positionally they were free, that some still chose to live as slaves because they knew no other way to live now think about that. Some of them did. Did you know there's a lot of Christians that do that? 
They, they come to know Christ positionally. Uh, they're perfect before God. They've been made right before God. Their sins are forgiven. They're standing there. But they know no other life except for shame and guilt and, and all the things that come from it. So they're not experiencing what's been provided for them. So you keep thinking about it. Even years later, when it came to the slaves, they did not experience freedom, but they were free. So how can I experience in my life what God says is true? If God says I'm free and dead to sin, how do I experience that? Here's a better question. How do I convert what God says about me into my practical life so I can enjoy what's been provided? Well, look on your outline. Three great musts of your salvation. To experience what God says is true, number one, you must know it. You got to know it. Now, let me just say this. There's a lot of emphasis in the Christian community, especially when you come to a church, to get in God's word. How many of you agree with that? I mean, everything that we do around here, we don't bring the New York Times bestseller list book in here to say, hey, we need to understand what the word. We don't do that. Everything that we bring in here as far as scripture is all scripture related because we believe that's where the answers are. And here's what's interesting about that. There's a lot of people that don't take us up on that. There's a lot of people that, that during the week, and, and listen, if this hurts, I'm sorry, but it, you need, it needs to hurt for a while. But they won't crack open God's word the whole week. They'll go from this Sunday to the next Sunday to the next Sunday, possibly. But they will never search the scriptures out to understand fully, and here's what you need to understand, fully who they are in Christ. And y'all, that is a, that's sad. Because a lot of your discouragement, a lot of your frustration when it comes to the Christian life is because you don't know certain things. It's right here in God's Word. He's given it to you. He's revealed it to you. He's saying, here it is, partake. And yet many won't dig a little deeper. So you need to know it. So look at Romans 6, verse 3. Paul says, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So if you want to be free from the penalty of sin, which we are, if you want to be free from the power of sin, which we're capable of being, here's what you need to understand. You need to understand that we identify with his death. Okay? But I want to back up before we get too much into that. Do you even know that? Have you, ever, have you even come to the terms to, to know that uh, and understand where you are positionally? Next, to experience what God says is true, you must believe it. Got to start believing it. Part of the problem with many of you here today is positionally, you've heard, you know that your sins are forgiven. You know that God has made a provision on your behalf. You know that his grace has reached out to you. You know that mercy, that mercy is new to you each day. He's extending all that to you. But experientially, you're not living that way because you don't necessarily believe it can be for you. Look at what he says in verse 11 of chapter 6. Likewise, you also... Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. The word reckon there, so many translations may say consider, but literally the better translation is believe. Likewise, you also believe yourselves to be, uh, to be dead indeed to sin. That means live as though you're dead to sin. Live your positional reality. 
And then he says, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if we're going to see anything change about experientially where we're living, it's got to come through the process of knowing it, but then believing it. But then there's a third step. To experience what God says is true, you must apply it. Here's the problem. This is where the problem is. Some of you will come in here, and I've done this. I've I've done this myself, so I'm not just pointing my finger at you. You'll come in here. You'll hear me attempt to expound on God's word, to correctly uh, try to influence you in the way God would have you be influenced by his revealed word. And I'm going to come in here, and you're going to know it because I told you about it. You're going to believe it. Some of you may even say amen to it. Yeah, that's the truth. But there's a lot of you who will leave and will never apply it. And you're talking about discouragement and frustration. That's at the heart of most most Christians. They know it. They believe it. But they're sure not experiencing it because they don't apply it. They don't apply it. Now, look at verse 13 of Romans chapter 6. And do not present your members... As instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Your members. What is your members? It's it's what your flesh does to reach out. Your flesh reaches out. It can reach out and be used for the world, used for the enemy. We're, we're, We're using our eyes for lust of things we shouldn't be lusting for, desires that should not be there. Uh, it, it can be in many forms. So he says, likewise, it, no, he says, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Now, again, he's talking to Christians here. He's not talking to unbelievers. You mean to tell me a believer has the potential to use the, the members of his body uh, for, for acts of unrighteousness? Yeah, we've all proven that. But, here it is, present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. That's a resurrection. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. That means this. Hey, if you hadn't heard it yet, positionally, you're in Christ. Positionally, you, you have an inheritance. Positionally, he's forgiven you of your sins. Positionally, there should be no shame and guilt. You're not under the power of sin anymore. But as a result of applying it, somehow we've got to be dead to our flesh and alive to his spirit. That we can live experientially where we are positionally. Does that make sense? That's what it's all about. Now, here it is. You got to know it. You got to believe it. And then you got to apply it. You got to act on it. Now, four great facts of your salvation. When you become a believer, <laughs> you, do not have, you do not receive a license to sin. Now, he's getting ready to address that pretty hard here in just a moment. There's a lot of people that are out there, and I've heard them say it. You think, well, who would be bold enough to say that? They've said it. Well, if I came to Christ and my sins, my past sins are forgiven, my present sins are forgiven, my future sins are forgiven, then why does it matter how I live? (laughs) Paul addresses that. Look, listen to this. As a Christian, listen to this. When we sin, grace is called upon. Did you know that? He's going to tell us that in just a moment. Now, here's what what it means. When I sin, because I'm in Christ positionally, 
when I sin, when I act outside of where I am positionally, the only thing that saves me is his grace covers it. Okay? That's what the Bible teaches. So I sin, and the grace covers it. Okay? Now, Romans 6, verse 1 says this. In light of what I just said, he told us that in chapter 5. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Shall we continue to sin that we can put God on display to show his grace? <laughs> what do you think his answer is going to be? Well, read ahead. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? He's basically saying if you're positionally in Christ, if you're positionally uh, uh, have a power over sin, then why would you even do that? Why would you consider that? He's referring back to, Revel, excuse me, to Romans 5.20. So here's what we need to understand. Every time I sin, that shows God's grace. Therefore, I'm doing God a favor, right? <laughs> that is misusing what God has said. Paul was saying, should we continue sinning to show God's grace? His answer is very short. By no means. A different translation would be this. God forbid. Absolutely, certainly not. No way. Why? Why is that the case? Because we're, we died to sin. This is the first positional truth. Is Paul saying, listen, if you become a Christian, you never sin? No, he's not saying that. But he is saying if you're a genuine Christian, you will not deliberately keep on sinning. You will not make it a practice. You, you won't be known for that sin. You, you, if you are really a Christian, it is going to show up in your personal life. A person cannot say, I'm a Christian, and there is no change in their response to sin. Let me tell you what, what that means, and I've said it before. When I sin, th this is my personal experience, and talking to some of you, I understand it's your experience too. When I sin, deep down, it's not my desire to sin. Now, some of you are like, really? Yeah. I mean, when I fly off the handle because someone made me sideways, how many of you just respond to it in an ungodly way and think, oh, man, why did I do that? I hate to tell you this, but sometimes here, here's what I think of. Being a pastor, you have to really behave everywhere you go. But anyway, um, <laughs> but when I act out, I've created a whole chain of problems. I do, and I sit there and think, man, i got to go make this right. I wonder who else they've talked to. <laughs> I'm probably going to go make that right. <laughs> you say, y'all don't have to deal with that. No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. <laughs> no, what I'm trying to say is this. When I sin, there, there's, there's a disconnect between what I truly desire and what I actually do. And then when I actually sin, I'm convicted by it. You see, so much of the world... They're, they may have a conscience, but there's a big difference. I know there's a big difference between a conscience and conviction. Conviction literally means, if you look at the word, it, it's the idea of being pressed down. It's the idea of something putting pressure to the point that needs to be made right. Conviction is, oh man, what have I done? And it can be godly sorrow associated. It can be sorrow, but, but conviction is something that just keeps pressing down. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's like you turn around and say, ah, oh, I still hadn't dealt with that. 
Oh, man, I'm still doing that. Why am I doing that? What? That's the whole idea. That's what sanctification is. That's that process of living experientially. 1 John 3, 9 says this. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. And he cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. It's the whole idea that sin is going to cause a whole different reaction in the life of a believer. Now, let's keep moving. When you became a believer, you were placed in Christ. This is the part that most Christians don't get. They just don't get it. Romans chapter 6, look at verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? The word know there in verse 3 means have you not considered? Have you not considered this? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We, he's saying positionally, here's what Christ provided. And then he says, and now you need to walk in the newness of this life, what's been provided for you. That means you're living experientially where you are positionally. Okay? It's a reality. You're making it a reality in your life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, here's what he's saying here. He's very clear about this. The only way I'm going to quit using my flesh in unrighteous ways is i got to put it to death. Have you ever tried to convince your flesh that it should do better? You ever had that kind of talk? Ah, oh, you know, you shouldn't be doing it. That's not the language in Scripture. You know what the language in Scripture is? Take the, take, take the holy sword of God and just chop his head off. <laughs> you don't sit there and debate with it. You don't sit there. Because here's, here's where it always leads. It does in my life. It leads to rationalization. It leads me closer to sin. The whole idea is somebody does make you sideways. You sit there and you're like, well, they deserve a good tongue lashing. Man, they, they need to know what they did to me. They need to understand who they're dealing with here. I can't let them get away with that. What am I doing with the flesh? I'm trying to negotiate with the flesh. I'm, try, I'm listening to the message. No, what, what happens? What do we do in that case? We don't do that. We chop his head off. We put it to death. It's got to die. But then there's a resurrection. Isn't it cool that almost every time there's a whole reference to Jesus in Scripture, there is the death. That's the hard part. The surrender many times. But then guess what comes after? The resurrection. The new life. Living experientially, positionally where I am. And, and all of a sudden my response to that person that made me sideways is, I'm so sorry you feel that way about me. I'll try to do better. Bless your heart. That's all you got to do? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> The phrase in Christ is used or implied 120 times just in the New Testament. It is the number one way we are called Christians. We are in Christ. Listen to this verse. Therefore, if any man be what? In Christ, what follows? He is a new creation. If he's in Christ positionally, here's his reality. Experientially, he is a new creation and he should act as that. So... 
What a, there's a tremendous implication here. Listen to this. Because I'm in Christ, I was crucified, buried, and resurrected with Christ. God is so concerned that you get this truth. Listen, that he gives us an illustration that will show this point. You know what it is? Baptism. Baptism. Now, Baptists get a lot of flack for baptism. Really. I mean, Baptists are into dunking people, making sure everything gets wet before it comes back up. Okay? Now, let me just tell you this. I believe that is a beautiful, I believe that is the picture that we read about so many times in the epistles. It is that picture of us going under. We're dying to our old self. We're dying, but then we're raised positionally uh, in Christ. There's a positional truth. There's that resurrection. It's also, now I'm going to leave from here experiencing his truth positionally of where I am. I will never apologize for the fact that if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you need to identify with him. How do you do that publicly? In baptism, how do you do that? You dunk them. Give you a little sprinkle. Listen, I'm not trying. I don't mean that. I don't mean that ugly. But it's not the picture in Scripture. Let me move on before I get in trouble. I'm going to get somebody's going to talk to me about this one. Anyway, okay. <laughs> Colossians chapter two, verse twelve. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised. Baptism there is always immersion. It's always that way. It's always presented that way. And raised with him through your faith and the power of God who raised him from the dead. This is positional truth. Next, when you become a believer, your sin nature was crucified with Christ's death. You have the power to put to death your sin nature. Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin, this is big, might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. You know what it literally means? From the power of sin. Look at the, the phrase, might be done away with. It means rendered powerless. Now, here's, here's a question. How do I deal with my flesh? I know I shouldn't go and try to talk it down. You need to do better. What's my reaction to it according to God's word? Kill it. Kill it. Render it powerless. Okay? That's the goal. Now, here's the question. Can you tempt a dead man? Can't tempt a dead man. It's all this talking about, oh, the temptation is so heavy. But the Bible says clearly that he's provided a way out of the temptation. That's in there. But not only that, I put it to death. And when I put it to death, I'm not tempted anymore because I killed it. <laughs> if you're dead in Christ, then the temptation cannot have its effect in your life. Ephesians 4.22 says it this way. You were taught with regard to your formal way of life to put off your old self, crucified, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude in your mind. That's where it starts. Romans 12 tells us that. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So, so how do I experience what he's provided? Put off the old self, put on the new self. And by the way, the two look completely different. They look completely different. So your old man, listen, is your old lifestyle, the way you used to live, your desires, your habits and patterns. But now here's the path to your experiential truth. You ready for it? 
write this right there. Galatians 2.20. Some of you have memorized this one. It's a great verse. This, positionally, I know who I am in Christ because of what the Bible says. Experientially, how do I get there? Here it is right here. I've been crucified with Christ. Okay? I no longer live. It's not me calling the shots. But Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, there's a body that can get me in trouble. I live by faith in the Son of God who, gave, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how positional truth becomes experiential. Now, this is a truth taught all through Scripture. I am identified with Christ. I'm in Christ. If I'm in Christ, I died with him and I was resurrected with him. Lastly, when you become a believer, your ultimate victory was guaranteed by Christ's resurrection. So those of you who are Christians who are sitting here today, you're frustrated, you're discouraged, let me just tell you this. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to live that way. Here's why, Romans 6, 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to want to sin once for all. That means his death was enough. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. And that's what we're emulating. Now, these are the truths, the facts concerning your salvation. What good does all this knowledge do for me? Listen, it does not do you any good unless you act on it. You got to know it. You got to believe it. You got to apply it. You can know it and believe it and not experience it. Did you know that? You got to apply it. It's got to become a part of who you are. So here's the application. Are you living past positional truth into experiential truth? Are you living what God has provided for you? Or are you living in contradiction to what God has provided for you? Some of you are still sitting here today. And you're in bondage to sin. You're in bondage to shame. You're in bondage to guilt. And listen, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that's where you're living, you're the most miserable person on the planet. I'm just here to tell you. You know why? Because you know it. You know it. You even believe it. But you have not experienced it because you had not applied it. God desires that from all of us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward if they would. Father, we just come to you right now. And Lord, I just pray for those that are here today, Lord, that, Lord, that we can just receive a word from you, Lord. That what, what's been said in your word is something that can be a part of our hearts. It can change us, Father. Lord, I just pray right now for those that are here in this room and they may know the truth. Lord, they may even believe the truth. Everything I said here today, they can sit there, they can nod their head, they can amen it, they can. But deep down, they know they're not experiencing the truth of what's been provided for them. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that you'll just help them to understand that we don't negotiate with the flesh, we don't try to talk the flesh into being better. But, Father, we, we, we put to death the flesh and the power that comes from the sin that can so easily entrap us. Father, I pray if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, they, they don't really understand any of this terminology today, Father, that before they leave here today that they talk to myself or another pastor. And, Father, we just thank you for our time together here to hear your word. Father, we pray for this offering, Lord, that you'll just use it 
whether uh, those who are designating their offering to, to help with uh, hurricane relief in Florida or Houston or wherever it may be, or those who are just giving because this is the obedient act they know to do. Father, we just pray, Lord, that you'll just uh, use this, this, this offering as we begin, as we continue to do what you call us to do to reach people. We just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.